And now we have, ta-ta-da-da, Al Bat. Hey, Al. Hey, Karen. How are you? I hope everybody's doing well today. It is a, uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A little, uh, little cooler, but, you know, it's that time of year, I guess. I, I do want to thank everybody at the Luther Place in Albert Lee, the Lunch Lotto Group at the Green Lee Golf Course, St. John's Campus in Albert Lee, and the Moonshell Storytelling Festival in uh, beautiful Nebraska. So uh, thanks for allowing me to be part of your of your day. I'm just looking at a chickadee, and I'm thinking I cannot not look at a chickadee. <laughs> it's my favorite bird. Uh, you should all look at a chickadee. If you see one, the endearing creature might become your favorite bird. If you can see birds, look at birds. It's an easy way to achieve an enhanced existence. Uh, William Ruckelshaus wrote, Nature provides a free lunch, but only if we control our appetites. Uh, somewhat, a nice listener said, do you have a least favorite bird? No, I don't. <laughs> I think they're all lovely, but... I have so many that are near favorites. One that just brings me great joy to see her here is the wood thrush. And this uh, bird flies 200 to 300 miles during a nightly migration. Yet it's still often referred to as a chunky songbird, which just seems unfair. <laughs> All that exercise and people still say, well, he's kind of a chunky songbird. But it has this haunting, flute-like, Frito-Lay song that gives my ear an exciting experience. I sat in uh, Mahoney State Park uh, near Ashland, Nebraska. It'd be between Lincoln and Omaha with a couple of friends, and we sat on the deck and uh, just enjoying the the morning. And it was just, it was so beautiful. And we looked up, and the sky was electric. There was a river of birds stretching across it. A cloud of feathers flew over, a flock of pelicans beautifying the air. And it was... Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful sight, an amazing sound. On the windless morning, I could hear the wings of the pelicans that, as they flew over. American white pelicans look big enough on the air that they have been reported as UFOs. And closer to the ground, I saw some messy songbirds and molt. None of them preferred a chocolate malt. It'd be a chocolate malt, I guess. They were the young and crestless in the Blue Jays case. I see many vultures. I, I've been working Colorado, Nebraska, and everywhere in between. And in this country, a vulture is sometimes called a buzzard. In much of the rest of the world, a vulture is a vulture. A buzzard is a hawk. It's a kind of a hawk, sort of a bootio, uh, similar to our red-tailed hawk. The popular theory is that the interstate highway system increased the availability of food in the form of roadkill and allowed the turkey vulture to extend its range northward. And every driver will see these large, dark birds circling high on warm-air thermals. Bill Thompson of Manorville said, I must share a bird sighting that, in my humble opinion, is pretty uncommon. A green heron. It was perched on some logs right above the south branch, middle fork of the Zumbo River, one mile west of Manorville. The beautiful colors on the neck really stood out when I got the binocs out. 
we beat around the river a fair amount and recalling seeing only two or three of these birds in 26 years. Speaking of herons, the great blue herons, which are much more common, seem to be less frequent of late now that I think about it. Uh, Bill, yeah, I agree. The green heron is just an incredibly beautiful bird. Uh, they're kind of a skulker, so we don't always see them. I, I probably see more of them flying than anything. And the great blue herons, I, you know, they're kind of moving around now. So uh, I'm sure some areas, maybe some folks are saying, man, I'm seeing more than I've ever seen. Uh, Jamie Tennyson of Clarks Grove saw a northern harrier, and her son Noah saw the yellow-crowned night heron at Edgewater Park in Albert Lee. So it's still around there. It's a beautiful bird to see. Chad Hines reported on the uh, Hawk Watch. He said, last spring, Andrew Westberg, one of our regulars at the Hawk Watch, and friend John Cruz did a raptor-thon to benefit the Hawk Migration Association of North America and the Bethany Hawk Watch. They received pledges for a number of raptors and other birds that they saw on a single day of birding in early May. The funds that they brought in were spent on lumber and hardware this fall. Andrew then spent a couple of days laboring in his shop and created 16 Eastern Screech Owl American Kestrel nest boxes. Some of these will be hung at the Bethany campus. We'll have some are available to people in the community. The the pressure is building to see more birds, I know, there, but uh, here it is. It said... um, If you would like one of those houses, please reach out to Andrew. His email is mradtip at gmail.com. So mradtip at gmail.com. And his name is Andrew, and you can ask about a Screech Owl Kestrel box. They said, uh, Chad went on and said after the cold front passed through, it did deliver some additional raptors to the count. Highlights from Saturday included our second red-shouldered hawk, our second Mississippi kite, and multiple sharp-shinned hawks and peregrine falcons. Had nine species in total. On Sunday, a few small kettles of broadwing hawks. And Marty had a good liftoff of 32 turkey vultures, Saturday was the start of the International Hawk Migration Week. I think that might be this coming Saturday. I might misspoke there, but uh, we eagerly look forward to the wing window when we see large kettles of broadwing hawks passing through. Fall is in the air. Uh, on those boxes that Andrew made, uh, the eastern screech owls, Chad says, are one of our most overlooked raptors. They are not as vocal as the larger barred or great horned owls that are more commonly encountered. They prefer small woodlands and orchards. Our woodland openings where they prey on large insects, small rodents, and birds. We've seen this species on the Bethany campus, so we know they're around. And I I have them in my backyard here, so I hear them calling every so often, and I want to tell them to shut up (laughs) because a great horned owl will eat them. Yeah, right. They're they're like the chihuahuas of the owls, so they don't know that they're not uh, a, a pit bull of the owls. And American kestrels, which are my favorite raptor, they have been declining across the continent, and there's been a big push to increase the number of nest boxes to help them grow their population. They prefer highway right-of-ways, prairies, and other grasslands where they hunt many of the same preys that the eastern screech owl prefers. It's our smallest falcon, 
and one of our earliest migrants. Uh, that said, there will be some males that will stubbornly hang in here. Uh, June, uh, now June, I pronounce it hers when I grew up, so it's C-H-R-Z. She has one of those wonderful last names that is minus a vowel, and when the ones I knew, again, when I was growing up with, were herses. So, June, I, I apologize if uh, yours is pronounced another way. She says, we're hearing a cluck, cluck, cluck sound coming from the woods. It's not turkeys. We don't know if it's a bird or a four-legged creature. Any clue what it is? A chicken. The cluck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. The cluck goes on for four or five minutes at a time. I try Googling it. No help at all. It's a uh, eastern chipmunk, and they do that. Oh. And they'll get on a stump or a log, and their whole body goes up and down with each <laughs> cluck. So it's really cool watching them. Uh, she said uh, also they had three great horned owls we watched this spring. The nest was only about 30 yards from our house. We have a 40-acre woods on one side of our house, and it's a dead-end street, so pretty quiet. I held my breath when they started flapping their wings as they climbed up the tree branches. One day I walked up to the tree to get a better look, and all three peeked over the nest and never took their eyes off me. They were amazing to watch. They are. They're beautiful, and uh, they're, we talk about branchers, and it's young owls that crawl out of their nest too early and just kind of wander around on branches and sooner or later they either jump or fall to the ground but their parents still take care of them there uh laura madsen she called about a young bald eagle in peril and it got uh, tangled up somehow on a utility wire and uh laura it sounds like she notified the utility company so they were going to come out and shut off the power for just an instant so they could get the eagle off there and she said 10:30 this morning it freed itself so i'm i'm so glad to hear that laura that was nice of you to care Joanne phillips a friend here from heartland spotted a red fox with mange and it's called sarcoptic mange generally, and it can be episodic in an area. The cause of the mange is a tiny mite, nearly invisible to the human eye. And mites are eight-legged creatures that are related to ticks. So I'll wait while the shutter runs up and down everybody's <laughs> spine because ticks just don't, uh, they don't, uh, nobody I talk to says, uh, you know, I'd really like a pet tick. Uh, thousands of species of mites exist in the world, and there's one that is ubiquitous in our house now. It's the ubiquitous house dust mite that eats flakes of our dead skin. Uh, most mites, however, are benign, and they aid in the decomposition of plant and animal material. Some are the agricultural pests or parasites, such as the mites that can decimate honeybee colonies or those that can raise havoc with poultry. But the mites on the, this fox, they're passed from animal to animal by close contact or maybe in bedding. Male and female bites meet on the animal skin, fall in love, and mate. The male mites soon die, and then the females burrow into the outermost layer of the fox's skin. 
They create a maze of tunnels. They feed on the fluids oozing from the wounds. And as they burrow, they lay eggs. The females die. The eggs soon release larvae that work their way to the skin's surface and move to new sites, make other burrows, and go through a series of molts before adulthood. Males again find females, and the cycle starts anew. During the process, mites deposit excrement because everything has to go. And this causes an intense immune response, an itchy inflammation. So the poor fox scratches and bites at the irritation, often breaking the skin and allowing various types of bacterial infection. The scratching removes fur. It worsens the situation because mites prefer hairless skin. And the animal moves incessantly, becoming sleepless and exhausted, and eventually dies from multiple stresses, hypothermia, infection, or starvation. The uh, boy, that was a that was an upbeat story there. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service published this 2022 breeding duck population survey. Uh, breeding ducks were four percent below the long-term average, and the long-term average goes back since 1955. The mallard population was down nine percent from that long-term average. Gadwalls were up 30 percent. American widgeons down 19, green-winged teal no change, blue-winged teal up 27 percent, northern shovelers up 15, northern pintail this is kind of a sad minus 54, and they are the greyhounds of the air. Uh, redheads up 36, canvasbacks down one, and scalp down 28%. And as you would all guess, mallards far outnumber any of the other duck species monitored. The last U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service breeding population survey was released in 2019. A listener asked, do owls migrate? You know, some do. Uh, Short-eared owls, uh, northern saw-wet owls, snowy owls are the ones that get the most press. Uh, burrowing owls, those cute little burrowing owls that we saw regularly in Minnesota uh, for a long, long time, and I think the regular uh, regularity went away, and now they're not around. Like 2009 was the last time I think some had maybe attempted to breed here. Uh, not every bird of an owl species undertakes such a journey and the lengths vary, of course. Uh, a listener says, Al, I know you've spent time in Texas. We go there each winter. How many wild hogs are there in Texas? Oh, boy. You know, Texas is home to pretty much everything, whatever you could dream of. It's They've had it some farm or hunting ranch, and they've escaped, and they have everything. Uh, they have... The last I saw from the Texas Department, like our DNR, said there's over 3 million feral hogs in Texas, and they're causing over $500 million in property and agricultural damage each year. 
And I know they got the golfers upset because feral hogs cause more than $1.3 million in damage to Texas golf courses each year. So I'm warning the pigs they don't want to irritate the golfers because nothing good's going to come out of that. They're going to come at you with uh, uh, woods and irons and putters. Uh, a listener said, I watched an old movie on TV in which a bald eagle sounded like a red-tailed hawk. Why did they change the calls of our national bird? Well, you know, think of it. If you're a, a sound editor and you're in charge of making sure the sound is not only good, but it just it sounds authentic, so you're going through the uh, the film of this, and you, you listen to the bald eagle. And what is it doing? It's producing these high-pitched giggles and weak screams. And you're just shaking your head saying, no, 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 this just this isn't going to work. We can't have the bald eagle sounding like that. He, he sounds like Pee Wee Herman instead <laughs> of uh, Humphrey Bogart. We just, we can't. So these sounds were deemed unimpressive by Hollywood sound editors who dubbed them with the calls they found more imposing, such as those of a red-tailed hawk. And that's why we hear those old movies. Uh, we'll hear red-tailed hawks. I see, I used to see some old uh, movies when I was in college. There was a guy by the name of Mel Jazz. <laughs> and I don't remember which one of the Twin City stations he I was remember on, that, had, too, that you say that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he had a lot of Tarzan movies on. Yeah. And he uh, it was Mel's Matinee in the mm-hmm. afternoon. So about the time we were getting home from college, we'd have to have something to eat, a bowl of cereal, usually. Because yep. uh, we, you know, we ate a lot of cereal. And we'd turn on and watch a little bit of Tarzan, and Mel would interview somebody in the audience, and the lady would get up, and he said, and what does your husband do? Those were dark days. He always asked her what her husband did instead of asking her what she did. And she'd say, well, he, he picks fly specks out of pepper down at the factory. And, and Mel would say, oh, he's got a good job. He wasn't listening because he said, oh, he's got a good job no matter what they said. <laughs> But we'd watch those old movies, and I remember seeing turkey vultures, or they could have been black vultures too, but they were vultures uh, circling over some poor guy crawling across the desert, and uh, they were doing the the calls of red-tailed hawks too. So it was, and all the Tarzan movies had kookaburras, that laughing uh, flycatcher. Yeah, and there's a song about them, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. So does that mean they're Australian? That's exactly what it means. Oh, okay. Because where else do you find gum trees? Yeah, yet somehow Tarzan could hear them where he was. So that's how (laughs) loud they are, I guess, that you can hear them that far away. But uh, I used to try to tell my roommates, you know, they couldn't, that bird couldn't be there, but they, they didn't really care whether that bird could be there or not. Hey, uh, Al, Victor. I, well, yeah. before you go, I want to make sure we get this in before we're done because we have a texter sure. from one of our listeners. Question for Al. When can we stop feeding the hummingbirds? Haven't seen one in about a week. Thanks. Always a great show. Well, hey, thanks. And that's what I do. If I don't see them for about a week, uh, then I... I'll probably take it down. But I will tell you, as soon as you take it down, there will be one there. It's just the way it works. 
but they'll they'll just move on and uh, if you don't see any you know i i take them down in a week i know a lot of people like keeping them up till oh they you know a certain day like the end of september they'll keep them up but you know if you got a cafe and no customers come pretty soon you're just going to close the door and say there's no point to this anymore so i think if you haven't seen them for a week or 10 days you can take them down and why a lot of people keep them up till maybe the end of september is because there'll be stragglers coming down from up north and they just want to help them out so it's uh i guess it's up to everybody but you know I don't. Nobody would blame you if you took him down now. Well, maybe that one hummingbird might, but you know he blames everybody. Uh, Jerry Victoria of Ellendale sent me a photo of a young Cooper's hawk that met its demise in his pumpkin patch, oh. and he said, "What's you know what? What do you think of that? There'd be a story there, but none of us know it. Uh, it was a young Cooper's hawk." because you could tell about the striping on the breasts. And uh, I'm sure if I could have seen the eye, you could have told by that. You know, young Cooper's hawks, they come new in the world. Everything is new. They don't know what's what. They fly into things. A good share of Cooper's hawks that end up in raptor rehabilitation centers are there because they've flown into a tree, they've flown into a wire, they have broken bones. So that could be very possible what happened to this one. It flew into something and just um, probably landed in the pumpkin patch hoping it'll feel better. And when you're uh, a bird and you're injured, you try to find a place where you're safe and secure and just hope for the best. And that's probably what happened to this guy. And my only other thing is maybe the great pumpkin had it against him for some reason. Just said, I'm doing, I've had it with that hawk, but it was a beautiful bird, Jerry, and uh, thanks. Uh, Jerry finds more stuff. He lives out in rural Allendale, and he has uh, a flock of wild turkeys that really like him. And they come in when he's in the yard because he doesn't bother them. I go out to look at them, and they see me, and they all hightail it. They just say, boy, that guy, we don't trust that guy. And then as soon as I leave, Jerry sends me a photo that he's taken <laughs> where they're just right up by him again. So they just uh, not used to me, and, uh, and that's all right. They probably, um, I think their keen judge of character is probably what's going on there. Hey, but, uh, Al, do, do, this is a, probably a silly question, but lately I've been seeing thousands and thousands of bees, a lot of them on my sedum and all my flowering plants, but do bees migrate anywhere, or do they just stay home and go in the ground or wherever they go? Yeah, they uh, stay. Uh, we have the Alberta Audubon Society uh, has a preserve, and we have beehives there and raise them and uh, battle with uh, bald-faced hornets that come in and kill them. We had to put a cage around it to keep the skunks from eating them, and it's, it's a pretty good thing because it, it keeps little boys like I was from wanting to stick my eye in that little hole and see what they're up to in but there. Cause are you talking bumblebees or, or regular bees or all these bees? Are, these are honeybees. Oh, honeybees. Okay, because I've been seeing a lot of bumblebees and honeybees, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, and the honeybees will 
attempt to overwinter in those hives. Some okay. years the, the losses are great and they'll lose a lot of them. Bumblebees and many of the other bees will try to find a good place to winter. Uh, most of the bumblebees, except for the queen, will not survive. It's like our friends, the yellow jackets, uh, most of them will not survive. And I noticed while we were eating a little bit outside at Mahoney State Park that our constant companions were yellow jackets. And they weren't real angry yet, but as food sources uh, decline a bit, then they get a bad attitude. Uh, They're nice insects for most of the year, but come fall, they just get... uh, they get a really bad attitude. And then if we put our elbow down like I sometimes do, they will uh, sting me. So so, so many of the, those things do not survive the winter. Which are the kind that, that build? They're not like the big giant paper globe type things, but they they look like little honeycombs, but they're kind of a, a cardboardy looking type thing. And they'll have little ones under like a, I don't know, a board or something that's up on the, or the eaves or something. Which ones are those? Are those paper wasps or those? Those are paper wasps. And if you look at it, they usually have a guard there kind of watching things. Oh, really? Just move around that little thing and say, you know, everybody keep away. I don't need to, I don't need the problem here. And they're like the opposite of a Walmart greeter. (laughs) Instead of saying, hey, thanks for coming. They're saying, you know, don't don't come anywhere near here. Well, no, sometimes they have real little ones and then sometimes they're a little bigger, but I've never seen real giant ones. They're always, I know, I I guess I've just seen different sizes and they don't seem well protected because they're sort of open-celled. They are, yep, and it's just the way they do it. They chew up all kinds of uh, leaves and vegetation and turn it into paper, really. Spit it out and make these wonderful things. It's incredible, and it's very similar to the bald-faced hornet, only on a much smaller scale. And those are the ones that build the big gray footballs in the trees. So, boy, there's a lot of chewing goes on there to make those things. So this, these are paper wasps then? Because uh, paper Jeff was wasps. trying to remove it. We were um, sweeping out at the lake house uh, on the this front steps. There's like a, a railing, and he looked and saw one of those underneath with a bunch of the paper wasps coming in and out. And so he took a broom and swept it away, and guess who got stung? Oh, no. He did. You <laughs> Oh, he did. I was going to say. No, I was across the yard, and, and I heard um, some some uh, interesting words. I was like, what? Because uh, <laughs> they were mad, very, very angry. And then they were they stayed around there, so I actually did end up getting some raid that I had in the house and sprayed them because I was trying to, you know, you couldn't get in the house, basically. Yep, they uh, they get upset, and they, they hold a grudge. They look right in your face and say, I know you. And the other one we get is a mud dauber that builds oh. those little mud. Uh, I don't know. They're just little mud nests they build, and they're not very big, but you see them under the eaves and things as well. So are those of, stingers too? To are see. the mud daubers stingers as well? Oh yeah, they'll sting you. Too. Oh, so they're they're equal opportunity stingers. Hey, thanks everybody for sitting on the front porch with us, man. You know, the other day I needed a new Etch-A-Sketch for work, so I headed to Best Buy because uh, they have that sort of thing. And 
I thought Best Buy began as the Sound of Music in 1966. Some of you probably remember the Sound of Music. They had nine stores in Minnesota in 1966, they began. But on June 14, 1981, a tornado hit its largest and most profitable store in Roseville. So that store held a tornado sale of the damaged and excess stock in the battered store's parking lot, promising best buys on everything. Sound of Music made more money during the four-day sale than it did in a typical month. People liked the best buy prices. So company founder Dick Schultz wrote this about the tornado. It was the worst thing that could happen to us. It was the best thing that could happen to us. I hope you all get the last half of that. I hope something today is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Remember, Heartless, well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And, Karen, thank you so much for your uh, wonderful company. And I hope you don't get stung by anything. (laughs) Well, they're gone now, Al. Don't worry. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our wonderful friend, Al Bat. Always great to chat with him.